All right, we finally got to the end of the book here, didn't we? And there's only 14 verses. I think we can get done tonight. I think we can get done tonight. As a matter of fact, I, I will get done tonight. If I gotta go into, if I gotta hit the flux capacitor and go into turbo here. All right, here we go. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 5 that the elders which are among you, I exhort, will am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being an ensample to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fades not away. Likewise, you younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yes, all of you be subject one to another. Be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about, seeking whom he may devour. Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who has called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that you have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, a faithful brother unto you, as I suppose I have written briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God wherein you stand. And that the church that is at Babylon, elected together with you, salute you. And so does Marcus, my son, greet you one another with a kiss of charity. Peace be with you, all that are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. So Peter here speaking to the elders. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for the preserved word of God. Thank you, Lord, that this is the inherent word of God. There's nothing faulty. This is the... God-inspired scriptures, Lord, that are good for us, that make us, conform us into who you want us to be, Lord. Thank you for preserving it, God. Thank you for keeping it. Thank you for raising up wonderful men and women, Lord, who have protected the scriptures. And God, and here we have it in our laps tonight. All over the globe, you've preserved your word. Lord, I think about the way you did it. You preserved your word all through Europe. And even all the way up into 
Great Britain and Ireland, Lord, you have places where you've preserved your word. Amen. And Lord, and then that word made its way over to our America's God. And Lord, it is alive today Amen. and it revives today. And we give you praise and we give you glory and we give you honor. And everybody says, Amen. Amen. You know, every time I hold the Bible in my hands, I just cannot, I cannot read it without thinking about the Lord and how he's just meticulously preserved it for us. If you've never done a, if you've never done a study on the history of the English Bible, I highly encourage it. If you need some references or some, some, some places to go, see me after church and I can point you on the way, but... The history of the English Bible is phenomenal. It is an amazing piece of work how the Lord has given it to us. And take heed. You know, I was talking to my wife today. I've been reading some articles about what they're doing in our major colleges like Wheaton University and stuff like that. You know, there is a progressive movement and there is a cancel culture that is moving into our universities and it is, it is moving into the boards of translation in the scriptures. And, you know, I hate to see what the scriptures look like 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now if the Lord tarries. And I warned you a couple years back, if you're into, you know, get you a good Bible now. Grab you a, if you don't like the King James and you want to go for a more contemporary version, now's the time. Because I'm telling you, you mark a line at year 2020, I would never buy another revision after 2020 ever again. Ever again. Because the world is polluted. They're trying to change. You know, I'm, I tell you, I may, I'm on a little side path here. I will get through chapter five. <laughs> Technically, I've already read it, so we can go home anytime. Right. <laughs> but I tell you. And me and Pastor, we talk about this. I love these modern translations, but when they started getting gender neutral with the oh, word yeah. people yeah. in our translations, I knew it was starting. Because they were trying to get gender neutral by changing um, masculine pronouns to the word people to be all inclusive. And there's an agenda today now that is trying to bring, the translators are now trying to translate with this idea of being relevant to all people. And that is not how we translate the Bible. We translate the Bible from the original languages. We translate the Bible from the way they were written. And if the way they were written says he, then it's a he, amen? Amen. And that's the way it should be. Because the farther we get down the road, the more we're going to start seeing things change. You've heard me say this before. It used to be homosexuality is in the scripture. You, the word sodomy is in the scripture. You can't find the word sodomy in today's translations now. Now they like to water it down and call it a sexual immorality. Well, anything can be a sexual immorality depending on what's the culture norm at that time. There is some wild stories in the Bible about sexual immorality. That story me and my wife listened to last night, what book was that, honey? Do you remember what book that came out of that story? There's a story in the Old Testament where these, this Levite came into a town and he had guests, and the men were, were pounding 
pounding the doors down. It was just like Sodom and Gomorrah, but it wasn't Sodom and Gomorrah. They were pounding the doors down saying, give us that Levite that we may know him sexually. Huh? Judges. Judges. Thank you, Barry. And this was the tribe of Benjamin. These weren't worldly people. These were God's chosen people. These were Benjamites saying, give us the Levite that we may know him. I was, you know, because we go to bed and listen to scripture. I had to do a devil take and did I just hear what I just heard? You know, the thing that I love about the Bible is that the Holy Ghost doesn't cover Israel's sin. That's why I know this is the infallible, inspired word of God. If this was some man trying to write about himself, he would hide some things. He would leave stuff like that out. He'd leave that out. He would not want that to be on record. But you know what? This is a Holy Ghost book. Amen. All right. And there are wicked men out there in our generation that are trying to change it. Just like there were wicked men in the 1900s that came along with their academia and tried to change God's word. But tell you, God through every generation has managed to preserve this Bible. And he will not change it. Amen. This Bible, it still brings life. It still quickens. It still cuts. It still lifts. It's still, it's just amazing. I love this Bible. Amen. I love the scriptures. All right, that's my little exhortation for tonight. So Peter here, he said, you elders, which are among you. I exhort who am also an elder. So you've heard me teach this before about what an elder is. And... Um, a good place to start is just keep your finger there real quick. Let's move over to Titus chapter 1, verse 5 real fast. i just like to turn to these scriptures here so you guys can uh, know where they're at. Um, so what I say, Titus, it's in the T's. They're all together, Thessalonians, Timothy, and Titus. And I think Titus is the last one. There it is. We studied the book of Titus in the church here in Bible study. Um, it's on tape. I thought that was a wonderful book. If you want to know some things about the last days, I would search the tapes out and, uh, and listen to that study. It was a good one. All right. Titus chapter 1 verse 5 says, For this cause left I thee in Crete. So Paul left Titus in Crete, that thou should set in order the things that are wanting. Well, what was wanting? That you would ordain elders in every city as I have appointed thee. All right? So Paul instructed Titus that you should appoint elders into the offices or into the churches of the cities that he would preach to. Now, Crete was an island that had many cities, many towns in it, and he was instructed that when you go to the town and you preach the gospel and people are converted to the Lord Jesus Christ, set up elders in that place, okay? So this word elder, um, you know, we get, you've heard me teach this before, and I'll just repeat it briefly here. When we think about the word, uh, there's three words that the Bible uses for leaders in ministry, elder, bishop, and shepherd, or we like to call him pastor, all right? And, you know, people always try to get, you know, in, in church, they have their titles, don't they? How many know churches, you know, like to give their titles? And 
my conviction when I read the New Testament, I've always seen these words used in this fashion. Elder is the word presbyteros, and it just is talking about the man himself, okay? Timothy gives us instructions of what an elder should look like. He should be um, a man of one wife, have his family in order, and he should be apt to teach, okay? Um, if, you, if you dig into that definition there, it also describes the man. It's not a young whippersnapper, okay? Elders are men that are mature, okay? They're seniors in the church, men of experience, all right? So elder or presbyteros describes the man Bishop or episkopos describes the office, okay? Bishop means it is an oversight. It is actually what the elder does, okay? What he's over, all right? And then we have the word poimen, which is where we get our word pastor from. Um, and it's also translated shepherd or to feed in the New Testament. And it simply just means that. It means to feed. So that is what you have the elder who is a bishop, and what does he do? He feeds the flock of God, all right? So the presbyteros is an episkopos who poimens, he feeds. And so that's why Timothy was instructed that you, if you have an elder, man, he's got to be able to teach. You can't just have an elder in the church that's good at showing videos, Okay, you gotta, if you're going to be an elder, you need to be able to teach the word of God. That's why Paul told Timothy to study to show yourself approved. All right, that word approved there is a word that means that you stand out. When there was heresy in, in Corinth, Paul said, find the brothers, the elders that are approved so that they can rightly correct the heresy. Okay, and so, you know... I find that when there's, her when there's division in a church, if you, if you read that scripture in Corinthians, you know why there's church division? Because there's heresy in the church. There is some sort of uh, heresy or some sort of false teaching that has happened, that has been believed, and it's been passed down, all right? Now, that false teaching could be something false about the Bible, or it could be a false accusation against the leadership or a brother or sister, but whatever it is, it's a heresy, okay? It's, uh, and, and that's what causes division. People just don't divide because they've had enough. They divide, the, 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 the root of division is heresy. But then Paul, what Paul says is the reason why these divisions come up among you, they're actually a good thing. He said the divisions come up among you that those that are approved of, of God or in other words, those that are approved by studying the word of God that have an accurate handle on the word of God, that those that are approved may be known. So that there is, when there is a heresy, those that know the word of God can come alongside and say, no, brother, no, sister, this isn't right. This is what the word of God says. This is what the word of God says. And then what happens? Then there's instruction. Then peace comes. The division is squashed and nobody divides. Okay. But men of God have to be approved and they have to stand up. And this is not just, I'm not just talking to, you know, men too. Women, study to show yourselves approved. When you see heresy in the church, you need to go to the scriptures. You need to go to that person and say, that's wrong, sister. That's wrong, brother. But I advise you, if you're a woman, let the men correct the men and you women correct the women. All right. It'll get along a lot better that way. Trust me. All right. The only woman I really like correcting me is my wife. 
and Pastor Darlene. That's about the only people. I mean, I'll let other people, but you kind of have to take it with a little bit of, you know, oh, I don't know about that. But I'm just saying, you know, we can't have a bunch of women going around telling men what to do. And I don't counsel women. If I got a problem with Christine, I go to Eric. That's just the way it is. And we have to live and work and move like that, all right? So there you go. That's, that was free of charge. I hope you got something out of that. So here we go. I'm going to bring it down a little bit. I feel a little preachy. Who am also an elder? So that's what, that's what the, uh, the whole definition of elder, um, that's where it comes from. So back to uh, 1 Peter. He says, uh, he says, I exhort you who am also an elder and a witness, praise God. Did, what did Jesus say? Tarry in Jerusalem, and when the Holy Ghost comes upon you, you shall be what? My witnesses. How many are filled with the Holy Ghost? You are his witness. That is the reason why we need the Holy Ghost. The main objective of being filled with power from on high in the Holy Ghost is to be a witness. Amen? Because it embolds you. Remember, Peter, pre-Holy Ghost, denied Jesus at the enemy's campfire. Post-Holy Ghost, he was standing in the middle of Jerusalem declaring the word of God. Amen? So, he says, I'm a witness of the sufferings of Christ and am also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. So look look what Peter tells the church here. Remember, he's talking to the elders. The elders which are among you, I exhort... What's he exhorting him to do? Verse 2. Feed the flock of God, which is what? Among you. Now, there's a lot in that half a sentence there. First of all, feed the flock of God, elders. There's nothing that Jesus requires of his church and the leaders of his church is to feed the flock of God. There are so many things that the world and that the that, you know, church administration and executives in high places try to put on pastors. That pastors got to be in this meeting. They got to be in that meeting. They got to be in this meeting. They got to be in that meeting. They got to be in this meeting. Meeting over here. Meeting for this. Meeting for that. Meeting for this. It's like a business, man. It's like, do you work for GE or do you work for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ? Because Peter didn't say here, elders, I exhort you to make sure that you get to the monthly minister's conference. He said, feed the flock of God. I feel like so much pastors, there's so much shackles that are put on pastors. The enemy is to try to get leaders so busy that they do not feed the sheep. Amen? And that is the primary duty of leaders is to feed the flock of God. And how do you feed the flock of God? Look, I, there are so many good authors, authors out there, and they got, they got their books, they got their video series. We got great resources out there, okay? But if you really want to be a good elder, you need to just get the Bible out, even if it just means just reading it. The Holy Ghost will give you the words to say. Amen. But you need to have your confidence in the author of this book, okay, and not the author of the recent Bestseller, okay? 
Now, once you've exhausted this book, then turn to maybe a bestseller. But I got to be honest with you. I've been saved since 1994, and I've yet to exhaust this book. I mean, I'm just in shallow water still. I'm still getting my feet wet. So feed the flock of God and make sure what you feed them is God's word, not man's word. Take the oversight thereof. Be in charge. That word oversight is to look upon, inspect, oversee, look after, care for. Care for the church. The care of the church rested on the elders in the New Testament. I love it. it the, the word there really means is to look and inspect. You know? Oversight. Feed the flock of God which is among you. This is our flock. You know, I'm not to be worried about the flock down the road. Okay? And that's another thing. I mean, I love the joint ventures and stuff, but that's another thing. Pastors get so busy trying to stay connected to what everybody else is doing and what this flock is doing, and, and it's just a distraction, man. Feed the flock which is among you, the flock that God has called you to. And the word here, not by constraint. Well, I did it. I took this job because no one else would do it. There wasn't anybody else around. So I took it. Man, that's not how. You to take it, brother. He says, willingly. Willingly. Of one's own accord. Not by constraint, but willingly, and not for filthy lucre. The word lucre there means an eagerness for gain. Well, I took that job over at that church over there because they had a better salary structure for me. You know how many guys I know that have gone, have left a church where the Holy Ghost is powerful, where they have free reign, where their, where their anointing is, 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 is just flows out of them. And then they get a call from so-and-so from another state. And they offer them a good job, a good package that pays a little more. And obviously they're thinking about their families and stuff. They go down to that church. They start ministering. And it just doesn't work, man. The whole atmosphere is different. The anointing that they have on their life, it's not, it doesn't fit. And they were all motivated by the money. You know, and sometimes when you've got a wife and kids, that's not a bad thing, but you've got to really know if you're called or not. And, you know, the, the, the extra the extra money in the bank account isn't the first thing that you should be seeking of whether or not that's where you should go or not. Praise God. Not for filthy lucre's sake. There's many people that you, we've talked about this in Titus, man. There are people and you got to know it. There are people right here in this city. The only reason why they're in a church and in a form of leadership is for gain. They're not in it because they care about the sheep. They're in it to, to, for their own personal success. And that's not right. But of a ready mind, Peter says. Be willing and be ready. 
Paul said the man of God, the woman of God, should be ready in season and out of season. You know, preaching the word is the same as that, say, that saying about prayer. When you're going through something, you better be prayed up. How many know that? Be prayed up. We've always heard that. Our grandmas always taught us that when we were growing up. You better be prayed up. You know, when you're going through a trial, you can't pray then. You better already be prayed up or you're not going to have the strength you need to get through it. Amen. Well, the same thing is goes for preaching. You need to be studied up. You know, you need to have a lifestyle of studying God's word. That where you can be ready in season and out of season. You can't just study the word an hour before service. You will find that that's not going to work. And you know what? I've tried it. And you know what I find? When I study an hour before service, you know what? That's usually, you know where all that revelation that I got that in that hour, you know when it usually comes out? The next service. Not the one that's getting ready to come up. It usually comes down the road. A week later. Two weeks later. I don't know why that is. That, maybe that's just the way I work. But I've always found you got to be ready in season and out of season. You got to be ready. Be of a ready mind. Verse 3. And look at this. This is important. Neither is being lords over God's heritage. You know, I, that's what I love about Pastor Lonnie. He never asked me to carry his Bible to the pulpit. I would. And sometimes I have. But it's not a requirement to be an associate pastor that I have to that I have to, you know, you know, bring stuff to him and present him to the pulpit like he's some piece, some royalty. You know, blow the trumpets and have something over my arm and all hail the man of God that's bringing us the word today. You know, well, you're laughing now, man, but there's a lot of churches in Africa that are like that. If you've ever traveled to Africa, you know what I mean. There's some churches in Africa. That's, that's how they, the man of God is like in them trying to honor and respect him. They go overboard. And then what happens? Then the minister has an affair with the secretary because he is the treat, treated like he can do no wrong. Not as lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. The shepherd should smell like the sheep. All right? You should know who your people are. You should know what they are. And, you know, I like to, I'm, I'm excellent with names. You can ask Pastor Lonnie about that. I know names. I never forget a name. But, you know, you should know names. You should know who your people are. You know, sometimes I forget, and I'll, you know, I'll, I'll say, hey, sister, how you doing today? But, you know, we, a good elder, a good shepherd needs to be among the people. It can't be locked up in the green room before the service and then after the service. They go out the back door, they get in the Cadillac, and they go down the road, and the people don't even know who they are. You've heard me say this before. You ever have a guest, we ever have guest speakers in here? You see if they're down here on the front row worshiping with the saints before they prepare. You see if they hang around. I've been in this church. I've seen people come through here. You never see them worshiping. And if you do, 
I see them on the front row. They're trying to get their notes together. And then right after service, they've cut out the door. That's not right. That's not right. I mean, maybe they don't think that that's wrong. That's on them. But I don't think that's right. Don't be a Lord. Um, Lording over. Exercising dominion over. To bring under one's power. You know, when God told Adam to take dominion, he never gave Adam dominion over another human being. What did he say? Take dominion over the earth. Man is to have dominion over earth, not over each other. God has never given man the authority to have dominion over one another. Now, what he has said in the scriptures is we can submit, we can give ourselves, we can humble ourselves before somebody and give them the authority, okay? It's something that you give, but they can never take it because they have a particular office. Be an example to the flock. When the chief shepherd, who is Jesus, shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory. A crown of glory. I love that. You shall receive a crown of glory. Praise God. You know, the thing I love about this crown is it's a crown that fades not away. You know, the crown of glory, the book of Revelation tells us that when they worshiped Jesus in the throne room, that they cast their crowns at his feet. You know, the crown, I want my crown of glory, but not so I can wear it and say, wow, this is nice. Look what I did for Jesus. Look what, you know, because the crown of glory is not what we did for Jesus. It's a crown of salvation is what the crown of glory is. The crown of glory is is what he did for us. Amen. And so when we see him, we'll take that crown and we'll throw them at the feet of Jesus or we'll lay them at the feet of Jesus. To me, that's the thing. There's two things I look forward to most when I get to heaven. Hearing well done, good and faithful servant and being able to take that crown and throw it at the feet of Jesus. That's, that's like the two things that I am just like, I can't wait to do those things. Likewise, younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. All right, so 
you saw where I had put that there, um, you know, the elder and the younger. And I had a, I was thinking about this because you guys have heard me go on a rant every now and then about um, young people. I love young people. I have young people in my family. <laughs> I know you do. Okay. But there is a trend in our society that is putting unexperienced people in the place of authority in the church. And it's just, it's just not good. You just, it, it creates a lot of mistakes. Um, and I was, I was pondering on this, you know, I said, I had this thought, I said, it just kind of hit me. It said, the youth will take you where you would not go. Because sometimes when we go older, we get stuck in our ways. We like familiar, don't we? It's very, it's very hard to get, you know, somebody that's older to do, try something new because they dislike, they're confident in what they know, Okay. So the young can come along and take, the youth can come along and they can help an, an older person go somewhere or see things or, where, they would not, where they wouldn't go themselves. But the old or the seniors, so it says here, the young will take you where you would not go, but the old or the seniors will keep you where you should not go. And a healthy church is where the two are working together. Okay? That's a healthy church, where the young and the old are working together. You've heard me say, I hate it when our young people go off to Bible college or ministry school somewhere, and then they never come back. The church raises up funds, sends them out to get the fire, they get the fire, and they never bring it back. (laughs) They just disappear. And I think that's so sad. I think the ministry schools need to be responsible there. They need to, you know, it's like they rob our blood and our treasure. They take our young, they take the finances, and then it never gets sown back. The church never gets to reap a harvest from that. So, you know, we need both. Amen. And, um. But it says here that the youth should submit themselves to the elders. Likewise, verse 5, you younger submit yourselves unto an elder. Even if they don't do it the way you would do it. Even if you think you can do it better. Even if you think, well, you know, if I was up there running that service, I'd have done it this way. Or they missed it there. Man, they should have sang that song a little longer. Or man, they just went too long today. Or I would have done it this way. I'd have taught this. I'd have had the altar call here. I'd have done this. I'd have done that. You know, the best thing you can do is is you can just submit yourselves to the ones that are have the oversight and the trust that if you're in a Holy Ghost church, the Holy Ghost is big enough 
to move it the way he sees fit. And if there's something that needs to be straightened out, he'll do the straightening out. Amen. He always does. Catherine always straightens me out. I wanted to go somewhere that I forgot to go to when we were talking about feeding the flock for a minute. Can we go over, go over with me to the book of John chapter 21 real fast? John chapter 21. Is anybody heard of that series that's come out called The Chosen? Anybody watch that? Raise your hands high so I can see you. It's called The Chosen. Google that. Download the app. It's, the one, it's one of the best gospel films I've ever seen in my life. Yes, there's some creative license there. It's not like one of these that goes you know, line upon line of the Bible text. But it is, it is truly an incredible, incredible um, piece of work. So it's called The Chosen, and they're in their second season now. And I would highly, highly suggest it. Amen? Praise God. little plug there for you guys. All right, what did I say? John chapter 21? All right. And I'm going to go to uh, verse 15. 21:15. So when they had died, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? And he said unto him, Yes, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. And he said unto him, feed my lambs. Jesus, they were eating dinner. They had just went fishing and they caught some, um, some fish. And so when what Jesus was saying is, Peter, do you love being a fisherman more than you do? Do you love being a, you know, catching fish or do you want to be a fisher of men? Do you love, you know, this work or do you want the work that I've called you to? All right. And he said unto him, you know that I love thee. And he said, feed my lambs. Verse 16, and he said unto him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, Jonas, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, yes, Lord, you know that I love thee. And he said unto him, feed my sheep. And then he said in verse 17, he said unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And Peter was grieved because he said it to him a third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, you know all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. And so Jesus said unto him, feed my sheep. And so it's a beautiful story we've all heard before where the Lord is actually restoring Peter here because he denied him how many times? Three times he denied him, and he restored him three times by asking him, do you love me, three times. And that's why on the third time there it says he was grieved because he realized what was happening there. But also, when he's restoring Peter, he asks, do you love me? And so when Peter said, you know I love you, he said, 
if you love me, feed my sheep. Teaching us that if you were called to be an elder, the primary motive for feeding the sheep has to be the love of Jesus. Your love for Jesus is what causes you to do it. Okay? That's the only reason. And, And I feel like I'm speaking to some people here today that maybe God has called you to the ministry. And you're just not doing it yet. Or maybe you have been in ministry before. And you can nod and confirm the things that I'm saying tonight. But... When you have a service and you're there and you're all fired up because you feel the Holy Ghost and you're, you know, ready to preach a word and there's three people in the room, you better be there because you love Jesus. Because if you're there because you love people, you're not going to get very far. Okay? You know, despise not the day of small beginnings. Amen? And so the love of Jesus is what must constrain you to be in the ministry. And that's what will keep you from the first year till you die. And I always say ministers don't retire. They just die. You know, my dad always said, refire, not retire. Refire, not retire. Refire. So, you know, he will keep you if you love him in the ministry. And so I wondered, I knew why he was doing it three times here. But then I was like, he, first he said, feed my lambs. Then he said, feed my sheep. Okay, that makes sense. He's changing it up a bit. But then in verse 17, he says, feed my sheep again. He says it twice. But he's actually saying something different all three times. Because in the first verse, he says, feed my lambs. He uses a Greek word, bosco. And he uses another word, arnion. Okay? That word bosco is different than the feed that I taught you of the word um, poimen. That bosco is almost like a fight, like protect, like drive out the wolves, amen? You know, like it's a protection. Stand up, guard. Don't let the wolves come in. Don't let people come in. That's when Paul ministered sometimes in his letters, he he took this stance, especially against false doctrine. He was... He was in a fighting attitude because he didn't want people to come who would bring new doctrines that itched people's ears. But the only motive for the newness was to draw people away, take what they have, leave town. That was what they were doing back then. And it's what they still do today. And so the first stance that Jesus is telling Peter my lambs, I want you to protect them. I want you to fight for them, amen? Talking about the new Christians, new believers, new lambs. We've got to fight for the sheep. Can't let people come and say, hey, can, 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 talking in their ear. You know, when you get new believers in here, sometimes, you know, people that are in the church, they just, 
different people that don't really have sound doctrine in their life, that don't submit themselves to the pastor and the teaching of the word. They want to get in people's ear and, and tell them all their ideas of what, what they need to do. You drive people like that away. Get away from that person. You're bothering them. Let them listen to the Bible study. Let them worship God alone. Quit coming up when they're praising the Lord and you're whispering in their ear all the time. Just leave them alone. So anyway, that's the first phase. The second thing he says, then he goes and he changes the word lambs to sheep. All right. And that's where he's talking about feed my sheep. All right, so, you know, once, once you know, they move, and John, the epistles of John talks about the, the stages of Christianity. We got babes in Christ, we got young men, we got grown, mature men, and then we've got seniors, okay? And so, you know, when, the, when, you know, when you're in the Lord for a while, you still need to come and hear the word of God. And then the third verse, then what he does there is, is he keeps the word sheep, but he goes back to that original word for feed is bosco. In other words, fight. So the first one, he says, fight for the sheep or fight for the lambs, feed the sheep, then fight for the sheep is basically how you could translate that. Where we just think he's saying the same thing, but he's, he's given Peter the strategy of how to be have oversight over the church. You know, there comes times in the in the in the in the ministry where you got to be you got to take a stance. You got to fight. You can't let people just come in and walk over what God has called you to do. You got to stand up. God called you for that office. He didn't call some other guy to come in here and let them run all over you and try to do what they want to do. I remember a vision of one minister. He went into a church and he said when he went in, he had a vision. And as the church, the pastor was teaching and preaching the word of God, there was a person that was in the audience and he was like a heckler. And all he kept doing was going, nah, 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 while the preacher was trying to preach the word and teach to the people. There was this guy in the congregation that just kept standing up and shouting over the top of the preacher. And you know what? Not too long after that, in real, in real time, that church split. Because they were letting that person, whoever that was, they were letting them dominate the people instead of the man of God that was called to the people to, to feed the flock. And you'll know the ones that are called. You'll know the right ones. Because they'll have the character that Peter was saying. They won't do it because they were forced into it. They won't do it because it's a good paycheck. They won't do it because, you know, they, they got nothing better to do. They'll do it because they love Jesus and they're doing it out of obedience to him. And not because they're your buddy. But it takes a different stance in different seasons. Sometimes we've got to fight for the lambs. Sometimes we've got to feed the lambs. Sometimes we've got to fight for the lambs. And when I see that there, if we're looking at this in stages, like fresh lambs, mature lambs, and then our seniors, we've got to fight for our seniors, man. We've got to fight for our elderly. Amen. It ticks me off, man, this stupid COVID. Where are old people sitting in the homes alone, afraid? 
We can't go and minister. We can't sing worship songs and read scriptures to them when they're in the last days of their life. It ain't right. <laughs> it ain't right. It is not right. And we need to fight for that. We need to go busting through there and say, you don't tell me what to do. I'm the, that's my flock. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be with them in the last hours of their life. I don't care what you say. I'm sorry. I'm emotional tonight. That really got me, man. Because I've been pinning this up for a year and a half. We can't do that. It's not right. We got to fight for our elderly who've been faithful in the church for 80 years, yep. 60 years, 50 years. They've never turned their back on God. We can't ignore them and let whippersnappers, you know, call all the shots. You don't know anything. You know, the Pew Research Factor says that 83% of people that agree that homosexuality in the church, it's coming from those that are 30 and younger. Yep. 83%. Where do you think all this acceptance for these people being married and homosexual? It's coming from the young. And you young people that are in here tonight, you need to own it. You need to submit yourselves to the elders like the Bible says and listen to them because they've seen what you haven't seen yet. And they know what this turns into. These 60-year-old people that came out of Cuba, they know what communism looks like. They know what socialism looks like. You 20-year-olds in university right now, you don't know what that turns into. It sounds good right now, but once it gets in place, you will regret it. And they've been there, they know it, they've seen it, and they're trying to warn you. And you can't push them aside just because they're 60. Just because they like to watch, you know, they like uh, Lawrence Welk. That's right. They like bubble machines. Just because they're not into trap music don't mean they don't know what they're talking about. Amen. That's right. So, Jesus knew he wasn't just telling Peter, feed my sheep. Okay, he was... He was saying a lot more there than just repeating himself three times. Do you get yeah. that? Yeah. So back over to our text in 1 Peter, we'll wind down. First Peter. The end of five. I love these coming verses. We quote these all the time in church. He says, yes, but all be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. It's important that all the ministries in the church should flow through a spirit of humility. Because why? God resists the proud. That word resist there. God resists the proud. You know what stunts the anointing? Pride. When you start thinking, oh, you know, this is my terror. This is kind of my ministry. Anointing, you're on, you're, 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 you're driving in your own energy right now. 
And guess what? There's only one reason why we're in ministry. To de- destroy the yoke. The Bible says it's the anointing that breaks the yoke. Amen? We're only in this to, to, to get people in the kingdom. To get people free. The spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me to preach good news. To bring them out of prison. To, to, to break the yoke of bondage. Amen. That's the only reason why we do this. And if you are operating in your area of ministry out of pride, there's no anointing. And so if there's no anointing, there's no power to break bonds. There's no power there. So you got to make sure, you know, if I'm up here, you know, and I feel like, you know, so and so, you know, doing a song or that song or someone's thinking, you know, why is Jeremy doing that song? I thought that was my song. I'm the one that first brought that song to the table. Now he's doing it. Hey, man, that's pride. You got to resist that. You know, there's no copyright on who should sing what songs. There's no copyright on who should be at a particular place in ministry in the pantries or the different things that we do. You know, we got to serve it with a humble attitude. So, why... Because he will resist you if you do. And we don't want God to resist us. We don't want the anointing to to resist. But he gives grace to the humble, praise God. That's what I want. I want grace. So humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Whose hand? My hand? Your neighbor's hand? God's hand. Humble yourself under his hand. That he may exalt you. You think he wants you to stay down? No. He will exalt you in what? Due time. There's that word again. Kairos. Remember what we talked about last week? Kairos. The seasonable time. Not a time based on chronology, but a time based on the opportune time. See, a lot of times we try to want to get into a position that we're not ready for. And we push ourselves there with our pride. The God resists us. The anointing's not there. You fall flat on your face. But if you humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. And let him do the lifting. Let him do the pushing. He will exalt you in due time. And that due time, it's like the psalmist says, the, the, the tree will give fruit in its season. Amen. You ever reached for a piece of fruit, went to bite that apple, and you couldn't even put your teeth in it because it was so hard? It's like the worst ever. You almost chipped your tooth biting that apple. Or that orange, you couldn't even peel the orange. It was so, it's just not right. There's nothing worse than fruit that's picked that's not ready to eat. And so after verse 6, praise God, what's he do? Cast your care upon him. You know, because the bottom line is that most of the time when we're trying to exalt ourselves into a position, it's because we have care. We have concern. Wonder what they think. Or they'll think better of me if, I, if I'm doing this. Or I need to prove myself. I need to show that I can do it. All that care, God says, put it on me. Cast all your care upon him because he cares for you. Be sober and vigilant. Be sober. I learned the other day, there's Bible colleges, good Pentecostal 
supposed to be God-fearing Bible colleges. They let the kids smoke and drink on campus. And after class on Friday nights, they're carousing in the bars. These are supposed to be people that are raising up the next generation to preach the word of God. And they're out there carousing. It's not right, man. Be sober and vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion. He is walking about seeking whom what? He may devour. He doesn't have the authority to devour, but he's looking for somebody that will give him the authority to devour. Amen? And boy, he is looking, man. And there's nothing worse. There's nothing easier for that roaring lion to pounce on is a drunken Christian. You know, there's a scripture that says, be not drunk with wine that leads to debauchery. I love that word, debauchery. It means to letting down of the guard. You know, if there's anything that'll make a young Christian lose their senses and lose their, lose their ability to keep themselves pure is alcohol because it makes you kind of numb and you just drop your guard down. You know, you ever seen that in boxing? They always say, get your hands up, get your hands up. They get tired, man, because they've been, let them hands down, man, bam, they get knocked out. Got to keep your guard up. Alcohol will make you lose your guard. Resist steadfast, verse 9, in the faith. You can't resist the devil without faith. What brings faith? Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. So you got to have the word to resist the devil because you got to resist him in faith. You know, you can't, good intentions does not keep the devil away. Let me say that, good intentions doesn't keep the devil away. You want to know what keeps the devil away? Faith. Jesus didn't say, you know, Satan be gone if you feel like it. No, in faith, get out of here. You don't have no right in my house or in my life. Almost done. Resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that these same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. And I think about those, our persecuted brothers all over the world in third world countries like China and Malaysia and things like that. You know, we think we're going, we got things going on here. We've got brothers and sisters in the Lord that are going through things too. And what we should do is, is we should keep our guard up. We should stand. And while we're standing for our own, we should also be standing for them. Amen. Amen. We should be standing for them. You know, when they shut the churches down in South Africa and they said nobody could worship God in South Africa, horrendous. You know, Pastor Rodney Howard Brown down in Florida, he started a meeting called The Stand. They've been meeting there for over 385 days, every day, taking a stand every day because his home country cannot have church. Now, verse 10, but the God of all grace, who's called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, notice that after we've suffered a while, you know, the suffering is the filter, guys. The suffering is to see if there, what's in you is real. 
Jesus never promised us when we came to him that we wouldn't have any problems anymore. What Jesus promised is, is he would give us faith to overcome the problems. Amen. Praise God. I was listening to that uh, Joyce Meyer on the radio the other day driving the bus. And she said, you know what worry is? Worry is just a down payment on a problem you'll never have. (laughs) I thought that was good. Worry is just a down payment on a problem you'll never have. We're not to worry. We're to stand in faith. Suffer for Jesus Christ. And what will happen after that? He will make you perfect. And that word is not, you know, it's the word he'll make you mature is the better word there for perfect. He will make you mature. All right. He will establish. Establish you. Make you a fixture that's not moved, tossed to and fro. And he will strengthen you. Woo! And he will settle you. You want to know why people flip from church to church every three to five years? Because they're not settled. You know why they're not settled? Because they're not strengthened. You know why they're not strengthened? Because they're not established. You know why they're not established? Because they're not mature. You want to know why they're not mature? Because they haven't took some suffering in the church when the pastor says, sit down. Don't say that right now. Oh, well, he shouldn't talk to me that way. I'm going to go down here to this place. Well, I didn't like the way they did that. Hey, man, that's your feelings, you know. Take it, take it. And know what Peter said. If you got rebuked and you shouldn't have got rebuked, then they, yeah, that's favor with the Lord. If they missed it by rebuking you and you just take it, Jesus is like, oh, she didn't deserve that. Have some glory. Amen. Have some exaltation. I'll make sure the anointing is strong on you in that next service. Praise God. That's why you have all this church hopping, people going from place to place, man, because they don't, they're, they're not settled. Verse 11, now to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And that's the end. Praise God. The rest of it was just stuff that uh, he talked about, different people that wrote the letter. We, did, we covered that in our introduction about where the church of Babylon was. Um, verse 13, we know that, you know, Marcus is Mark, the person that we get the gospel of Mark from. And a lot of people think that, uh, that Mark's gospel was Peter telling the story um, when he was with Jesus. And I'll read the last verse, verse 14. So greet one another with a kiss of charity. Peace be with you. All that are in Christ Jesus. Praise God. Pastor.